Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. Just want to, I'm Andy, I'm one of the elders here at Resurrection, and um, just want to welcome you um, to our service this morning. Um, I saw some new faces. We may have some uh, visitors watching online. Um, just do something new this morning. We're just going to, the rest family, we're just going to shout welcome visitors to welcome in on three, okay? One, two, three. Welcome visitors. Good job. Good job. Glad y'all um, are joining us. Um, I want to speak to something this morning. I'll speak on behalf of the elders. Um, I think there's some paper copies here, but there was a letter that went out from the elders by Bradley on behalf of the elders um, that uh, went out. It's posted on the uh, blog, on the website. It went out in the e-blast as well. There's copies back at the welcome table. Um, but last week when Bradley was teaching, uh, he made this statement. He said, what if we were to put our phones down. And what he was talking about, if you missed last week, was talking about the noises and the distractions that we all face in our life daily. They come up. Uh, Oftentimes they come up when we need a break. They come up when I don't know what to do. I'm trying to find something to do. And we jump into something that really distracts us. Um, whatever that may be, it may be your, your smartphone, it may be social media in, in some way, it may be TV, there's all kinds of things and that's highlighted in that letter, but what if is the question. So that really resonated with us and in my Christian journey, in my walk with Christ, one thing that I've found is if something's stirring in me, I need to act on it. And that's what we want you all to do, us included as elders. We want to challenge you to, in those moments, to choose God, choose Him instead of them, those distractions. Because the truth is, those distractions, those appetites for whatever simple pleasures that they are, we try to feed those, but they're never, they'll never satisfy us. When we turn to God, He satisfies us. He satisfies our soul in a a way that's so wholesome. And it's a way that we can connect to Him and grow with Him. So um, what does that look like? Well, for me, I was real eager after we met and we discussed this. I was real eager to get started. So for me, it was was my phone. Um, I do have a Bible app, uh, as many of you probably do. But it's not a substitute for the hard copy of God's Word. For me, the distraction was I, I got to be disciplined about my Bible reading with a Bible app. I passed all the other apps, chose the Bible app, and did my reading. But the thing about it is there's other apps on there on the, that's distracting me. There's Facebook, and I have been known to open up the ESPN app every once in a while. <laughs> So what happens is, is with these distractions is, for me, it was I want to hurry through God's Word. I want to check that box and then get to something that that I want to jump into. 
So for me this week, uh, all of my Bible reading's been done with a hard copy of His Word. And any time that I wanted to go there, uh, what I would do is I would pray or I'd meditate on Him and had a really good time with God this week. Um, I prayed specifically for certain prayer requests that I may not have gotten to during the week with these distractions. But and what I've also found at work is I've been less anxious. You know, so uh, we just want to challenge you all for the next three weeks um, to uh, make yourself more available to God. Does that excite anybody yeah, but me? Absolutely. When the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and he was tempted, he said this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's an essential part of our life that depends on communicating and being with God, even uh, more essential than, in that case, it was food. There's an essential part, um, and we want you all to step into that. You've probably heard the phrase addition by subtraction. Let's step into that. Let's subtract something and add to our lives uh, with time with God. Amen? Amen. All right, so I want to read the uh, sermon text. And, oh, by the way, at the end of this month, these, these next three weeks, prayerfully consider that. Don't do it just because the elders said to do it. Do it because you want to do it. Do it because you want to grow in your uh, relationship with God. But at the end of these three weeks, the end of the month, we hope to get back together and share some of uh, what we experienced. And hopefully this letter that was sent out that's also on the blog and all those other resources, it also tell, uh, makes mention of how you all can tell us about uh, what you've experienced during these three weeks. So we want to celebrate that with you all. I want to read the sermon text this morning. It's out of Luke chapter 2. If you all could stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be, should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will, be, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and it had been as it had been told to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for doing such a good job um, articulating this challenge from the elders and also leading by example. Uh, can you say amen to that? That's what elders need to do, and thank you, Andy, for doing just that. Um, the Lord's timing <laughs> is just uncanny sometimes. I, for one thing, the fact that we had an elders meeting scheduled for this past Monday which is where, as we were sort of reflecting on last week's text and sermon, there was just this overwhelming sense that we needed to pause. You know, I don't remember who said it first, but there was just like, you know what, Bradley, when you talked about silencing, seeking solitude, there was just something, the Lord was doing something there, and so all the elders were just like, we need to pause. We need, and as we began to flesh that out, what came of it is this blog and this challenge that we're, that we're doing. Uh, but it's also interesting that we have landed in Luke 2 this week. Uh, when we started this series through the Gospel of Luke, which we had targeted to start at the first Sunday of Advent, which we did, my goal was to get here by the Sunday before Christmas. And I quickly realized that that, that ain't happening. Uh, I mean, chapter 1's 80 verses, for one thing, right? And there's just so much in there um, as I began to dive in deeper. So... It's just so amazing that here we are on this Sunday in Luke 2. Two reasons why I think it's cool. Not just cool, that's weak. Why it's astounding. Number one is we get to live in this most famous narrative of the birth of Christ the Lord without being caught up in all the commercialism and the fairy tale nature of the Christmas season that we normally live in. Okay, That's number one. Here's number two. This text speaks so profoundly, so deeply to not only the events of this past week, but of what we've been through in the last 10 to 12 months. And I think you're going to see that as we dive into it. All right, so let's get to work. Let's read verses 1 to 7 again. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Make notes of these details. Pay attention to the details. And all went to, went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. We've got some interesting details there. Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, Joseph, and Mary are in Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Okay, There's a, a census, a registration that's being required. Everybody, oh, the whole world's being stirred up here. Where did I leave off? Verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was his child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to a firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Yep, we know about that. And laid him in a feeding trough. Say that again. He laid, 
they laid him in a feeding trough. Don't get, get the little images of all the little Christmas plays, you know, with the little kids up here, and there's somebody's built a nice manger with clean hay. This is a real deal feeding trough. And they put a newborn infant in there, the Son of God, because there was no place for them in the end. Previously in the Gospel of Luke, we last left Mary with her, probably her cousin, Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John at the time, and Mary goes to visit her per some information she gets from an angel named Gabriel. She's there with Elizabeth for about three months. So that would have taken Elizabeth right up to full term with John. Whether or not Mary was present when John was born, Luke doesn't tell us that, but here's what we know. Mary has got to go back home and face the music with Joseph. I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think it is, Joseph. What we know, we've got to fill in some details from Matthew's gospel here because Matthew tells us that when Mary told Joseph that she was pregnant, when he found out, he, he didn't take it well. He decided he was going to divorce her and send her away quietly. He didn't want her to be shamed. He didn't want her to be charged, which could have happened during that day. He wanted to just send her away quietly. But then Joseph gets visited by an angel in a dream. And the angel says, Joseph, this is not an affair. She's been impregnated via the Holy Spirit. Take her as your wife. And he did just that. He took her as his wife, but they didn't consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born, which is probably why Luke refers to Mary and Joseph as still betrothed, which we know is a legal pledge, right? To break off an engagement or a betrothal in this day would have been like a divorce, but they're probably married by this point, but they have not come together physically until after Jesus was born. That's where we're picking up in the story of Mary and Joseph. Now Luke is ready to give us the account of the birth of Christ the Lord. I mean, I want to spend some time on that, but I can't. Notice that chapter 2, verse 1 doesn't begin with once upon a time. That's how all fairy tales start, right? Once upon a time. This doesn't begin with once upon a time. It begins how? In those days. What days? Specific days. This is not a fairy tale. This is not Greek mythology. This is nitty gritty history. And Luke gives us time stamps. Look at this. Time stamps. What days, Luke? It's the days when Caesar Augustus was ruling over the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus was the grand nephew and later adopted son of Julius Caesar. He came into power as Rome's sole leader in 27 B.C., and he was thought of as a god. When Luke talks about the whole world was going to be registered, what he's talking about is the Roman Empire, which from a first century Palestinian might as well have been the whole world because all they knew, the known world pretty much, was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the universe, and Caesar was the god of the universe. Quirinius was governor over Syria. It was a region that included Judea. This, these are time stamps, people. Remember who Luke is writing this to? Theophilus. Probably a Roman official of some kind. 
He's telling Theophilus, this is when this happened. It was when Caesar Augustus called for a census. The world power of the day and the empire was the universe. Caesar was the god of the universe. In those days, Mary was in the late stages of pregnancy. Joseph has accepted her. And we might think that, okay, they're married now, pregnant, waiting. Now they'll live happily ever after. That's how all once upon a time start or end, right? Once upon a time, we end up at happily ever after. Not so much. There's a problem. We've got a prophetic problem. Look at this, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. It'll be on the screen. But you, O Bethlehem. Everybody say Bethlehem. Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old from ancient of days, Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But here, we've got a problem. Do you see the problem? It's a prophetic problem, and it's a location problem. Mary and Joseph are not in Bethlehem. They're in Nazareth. It's about 100 miles you might think, well, that's, I mean, that's no big deal. It's like a drive from here to Livonia, Georgia. It's like two hours in the car, right? No, it's seven days, seven nights on foot or a donkey. It's a long ways. They're not in Bethlehem. So let's play a little game, okay? Game today is, if I were God. Y'all don't seem too excited, but I'm excited to play, Okay. <laughs> This is one of my fantasies. If I was God, I I really do this. When I read the Bible, sometimes I go, if I was God, would I do it this way? And 99.99999% of the time, the answer is no. I wouldn't do it this way. And thank God, I'm not God. If I were God, I probably would not have chosen Mary and Joseph. Certainly. God's had 400 years since Micah prophesied this to figure out who he's going to choose. I'm being a little facetious. 400 years to figure this out. I would have just picked, certainly there's some good lady who's engaged to a good man from the line of David in the city of David of Bethlehem who's already there. Just pick somebody who's already there. That's what I would have done. I wouldn't have picked Mary. If I had picked Mary and Joseph... I probably would have, like, got them moving a little earlier in her pregnancy. Like, Joseph's been through enough, right? I mean, he's found out his wife is pregnant. It's not him. And, she, and you know, he's, angels have had to come. and You know, Joseph needs a little bit of a break. Like, let's, let's get him and her there a little bit sooner, right? I would have probably got them moving via, like, a better-paying job opened up for Joseph in Bethlehem. Or or maybe a relative died and left them a house in Bethlehem. And they're like, oh, hey, Mary, let's move to Bethlehem. Now we've solved our little prophetic problem. But not God. You know what God does? He flicks his finger and says, Caesar, take care of that for me. 
And Caesar says, yes, sir, will there be anything else? He moves the entire Roman Empire to get little Mary and little Joseph 100 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. If that doesn't blow your mind, you're not paying attention. You're thinking about the roast in your oven or something for lunch. That's mind-boggling. Just stop and think. Stop and think about how helpless and how small and how powerless we would feel if Washington decreed everybody's got to go to your hometown. Not tomorrow, not after breakfast, now. Get up, move, go to your hometown, be registered, and they deployed the National Guard to enforce it and make sure we all obeyed. Can you imagine how small we'd feel? How insignificant we'd feel? Maybe you did feel small and insignificant this week as you watched on the news, powerless and helpless to do anything about it as all this chaos ensues in our nation's capital. This is why we need the Word of God. Because the Word of God, set, the Word of God shrinks world powers to a flick of God's finger. And our mighty, massive God is our Father. And we're His people. Yeah, you should holler. So God wields the Roman Empire like a yo-yo. <laughs> Let me get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Caesar. Yes, sir? And you would think, if that's who God is, if that's how powerful he is, that's how amazing he is and how, how unbelievably extraordinary he is in executing his plans, that he would have not forgotten to make them a hotel reservation. Yeah. <laughs> of all things, well, I was too busy dealing with Caesar, I forgot, and the, the, the town's back. <laughs> he didn't forget, though. This was planned. As much as it was part of God's plan for Caesar and the Roman Empire to be the means by which he gets little Mary and little Joseph a hundred miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, so too was it part of this same sovereign God's plan for his son. His eternal Son, the Savior, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, to be born and laid in a feeding trough. Mixed with hay, coated with animal spit, wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is the same Jesus who would say this. Why is this part of the plan? Mark chapter 10, verse 43 Look at this. Jesus is talking. He says, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. Oh, I put that in there twice. Sorry. 
came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's who Jesus is. The Apostle Paul said of this Jesus, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. It was part of the plan for Jesus to be laid in a feeding trough. There's two major contrasts in this narrative. All right, We've already seen the first one. The first one is the amazing sovereignty of God displayed in the wielding of the Roman Empire in order to get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and the laying of the eternal Son of God in a feeding trough. Amazing contrast. Here's contrast number two. Look at verse 8, Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Shepherds in an agrarian society might have had like small little land holdings. But the land holdings and the shepherding in and of itself would not have been enough for them to pay their bills. Particularly the taxes that they owed Rome. So many times shepherds would hire themselves out as day laborers. They would get hired out to do whatever during the day and then they would keep watch over their flocks by night. The point is shepherds are peasants. They're on the bottom end of power, prestige, and socioeconomic status in this society. And yet there's this theme in the Old Testament, isn't there? That the profession of shepherding has been co-opted by God. Remember Moses? Adopted by Pharaoh. Grows up in the palace of the world power of his day. Then he's banished from Egypt where? To the wilderness where he tends sheep. And that's where God sets a bush on fire and sends him back into Egypt as Israel's deliverer. Think about David. The one to whom God said, I will establish your throne forever. I will put a king on your throne who will reign as king of kings forever. Started out as a shepherd boy. Now all of this is coming to a head because though God flicked his finger and told Caesar and Rome to get his chosen couple from Nazareth to Bethlehem, they're not the ones who get the news. Caesar and Quirinius don't get the news that Christ the Lord has been born. Who gets it? The shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by Night. This is unbelievable. And they don't just get news, they get an angelic choir. And listen to me, this is all for them. I don't know how many there were. This is all for them. Notice verse 9. The angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now we, we've, we've gotten kind of accustomed to angels showing up, right? Haven't we in, in Luke chapter 1 and a little bit of 2? They, they just, Gabriel's been here a couple of times Zechariah, Mary, okay? We know from Matthew's gospel that Joseph is visited by an angel in a dream, okay? Angels have been showing up. But Luke adds something here that's interesting. He says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and what? The glory of the Lord. He hasn't said that before. 
in some way, God's awesomeness, God's power, God's presence, God's light showed up with this angel. And it scared the living daylights out of him. Now fear has been a part of angelic encounters so far too. Zechariah was afraid. Mary was afraid. Both times Gabriel said, don't be afraid. This time it says they were filled with great fear. That word, we've kept running into that word too. It means large and great in the widest sense. So now we've got terror and panic in the largest and widest sense. These shepherds are freaking out. Because the angel of the Lord has showed up. This is big time fear. So what does the angel say to them? Look at this, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great, if I say great, there's that word again, great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you, sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So the angel says to the shepherds, look, the news I've got for you is so good it's going to bring you out of great fear into great joy. Large and great in the widest sense fear into large and great in the widest sense joy. Okay? Keep that in mind. There's not a lot of that joy in here this morning. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Come on. Y'all look so, I mean, large and great in the widest sense. can't move off of it yet. When's the last time you were so happy you danced? Just stop and think about it. When was the last time you were so elated you couldn't contain yourself? You were shaking with joy. Not with fear, with joy. You just wanted to run. You wanted to leap. Have you ever felt that? trying to think when I felt that. I'll tell you one time, such an insignificant thing, but I think it was my senior year in high school, I made a shot with two seconds to go to win the game. And we went nuts. The person who was filming it, I've got it at home on VHS tape. Tells you how long ago that was. The person who was filming it dropped the camera. But we were dancing, shaking, so excited. I want you to picture these shepherds moving out of one extreme of that level of fear into that level of joy. That's what the angel says. This is how good this news is. Well, what's the news? Three things. Number one, the news is for the people. If you notice in the text, the article the is there. Why? Because this is for the Jews at this point. The Jews are the ones on the planet at this point that are waiting. The Jews are longing and waiting. And there's some Old Testament historical things that are brewing in Israel. I don't have time to get into all of that. That are brewing that the anticipation is actually 
kind of peaking at this point in history. We'll see that as we get further in this gospel. We'll meet a guy named Simeon and a prophetess named Anna. The anticipation is kind of high that maybe God is about to do something. At the very least, we know what's been going on with Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? Word is spreading. Something's up. So Jews are waiting and longing. This news is for the people, the Messiah you've been waiting for. This is the second part. The Messiah you've been waiting for is here. He's been born in Bethlehem. It's time. And I think if the shepherds, like imagine if the angel had just shown up, plain clothes, no glory, just looked like me and you, and said, hey, I'm an angel, and a Savior's been born in Bethlehem. Those shepherds might have gone, okay, we'll see. But glory, angels, choir, Savior's been born in Bethlehem. And here's the third part of the good news. You can go see him. Put yourself in their shoes. You can go see him. And here's how you're going to find him. Because... Think about this. A census is going on. Bethlehem is packed, so packed, there's no room at any of the inns. And there's speculation about what that exactly means. The point is, they had nowhere to sleep except in a stable. So the city is packed. And it would have been like looking for a needle in a haystack had the angel not given them this. You'll find him where? In a manger. That's not normal. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So what do they do? Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. Let's go see this thing that had happened, which the Lord made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found them. And when they found them, verse 17, they made known to them, they made known, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So let's, let's picture how this went down. You can imagine these shepherds, right? These are, these are not the people that everybody just wants to, to hang out with. Going from perhaps house to house, stable to stable, knocking on the door. Um, any uh, babies in mangers in here? Okay, sorry. You know. I mean... It's a little sanctified imagination there and a Greer accent to boot. But there's, you know, they have to go from place to place, right? But then they find him. Can you imagine when they found him? It confirmed everything. This is so strange and abnormal. And yet they find a baby swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and they make it known. Now, I don't know if perhaps after they knocked on a few doors, maybe some, some people started following and saying, Let's, what are these shepherds up to? It, perhaps it was the middle of the night. Let's just go see what they're all geeked up about. Because apparently there were more people there than Mary and Joseph. So they made it known. And then look at the response, 18 to 20. And all who heard it, all who heard it, so there's, there's, there's a lot of people there by this point, wondered. We've run into this word before. 
This is the word that Zechariah and Elizabeth's family and neighbors, this was the word Luke used to describe them when they didn't name him Zech Jr., they named him John, and Zechariah's tongue was loosed and he began to speak. They wondered. This is perplexing amazement. We've never seen anything like this. And we don't know what to do with it. So a lot of people are wondering. But Mary, verse 19, treasured. That word means she's carefully gathering up all the pieces. Gabriel, Elizabeth, virgin birth. We got moved. Shepherds. She's gathering them all up in her mind, and she's trying to connect the dots. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising. This is celebratory exaltation. This is dancing, shouting. Don't dumb it down in your imagination. These guys are going crazy through the streets of town. Loud, praising and glorifying God. Three responses. I want to ask you a question. Where do you find yourself at this point in the story? Are you wondering? You're like, maybe somebody's watching online, maybe for the first time. And you've heard this story, you've read this story. Maybe your mom and dad read it to you right before you opened presents, and it was like such a drudge to have to sit there and wait for somebody to read 20 verses of Luke chapter 2 while you're staring at these boxes and ribbons and stuff that you want to tear into, right? You've heard this before. Maybe you watched Charlie Brown's Christmas and you've heard Linus recite this. But now you're looking at this, we're out of the Christmas season, you got maybe some fresh eyes and you're going, this is odd. This is strange. This Christianity thing, maybe it's not what I thought it was. Because this doesn't picture for us a God who's marginally in control, kind of a a big sugar daddy upstairs, and might probably will win in the end, and we'll all get a trophy at the end. That doesn't seem like what's going on here. This is like big, big, big God doing something entirely improbable. Maybe you're looking at this and you're kind of going, yeah, this is, I know this, I believe this, I, I, I've read this, but I'm not, I'm not sure what to do with all these pieces. I've just, God's maybe been too small in my mind, but now I'm starting to see him for how big he is. And or maybe you're dancing. Maybe you're sitting there and it's all you can do to stay in your seat. You want to stand up and throw a chair, you're so happy, because this is amazing. And do you see why I say we needed to be here today? I'm not this smart. I can't plan this stuff out. I don't plan this stuff out. The elders are not this smart. We're all decently intelligent men. But we didn't plan to land here, Andy. Not this week. 
We just felt the Lord say, Luke, and we just went with it. And now here we are, and we're seeing, man, God is a big God. Maybe you say, you know what, I I believe all this, Bradley. I know this. I know this. But when I look at what's going on in the world and what's happened just this week and what's going on in my life, I just don't feel like jumping and shouting and dancing. And listen, I get that. I get that. And the Bible does say there are times when we should mourn. Wednesday afternoon was a time to mourn. Sunday morning after what happened Wednesday afternoon is a time to mourn. It's a time to lament. Why? Because the pervasive sin problem. This is not just about American government politics. The pervasive sin problem that is a global problem manifested its ugly head in Washington, D.C. this past Wednesday. Regardless of how you see it and what was going on, that was ugly. And the root of it is sin. That's the problem. What's going on in other parts of the world, in China, Bulgaria... Syria, it's a sin problem, and it reared its ugly head. And when that happens, you know, Jesus said to us, blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. And you know, one of the ways that I think we're comforted, not the least of which, is when God gets magnified in our worldview, and we start to see him for who he really is. There's great comfort. Listen, I'm not a guru. I, my job and all the elders' job, our job is not to stand up here and give you our opinion. It's not our job. My opinion doesn't, ma- doesn't amount to much at all. Many times I'm like you and I don't know what to think. You know what our job as elders and our joy as elders is? Is our, we're, we're to stand up here and hold this up and go, look. Do you see? That's our job. And by the power of the Spirit, we all start to see. And the more we see, the more clearly we see by the Spirit and the power, the more we are anchored and tethered to something transcendent. Something not of this world. The kingdom of God that has a throne. And on that throne sits this little baby who was laid in a feeding trough. Jesus, the Son of God. And when we're anchored and tethered to that, when events like what happened this week happen, yes, we cry, we lament, we pray. But we don't flinch. We don't panic. Because we know who our God is. And we know that he's the kind of God who flicks his finger. And a world power does his bidding. So let me give you just three final thoughts real quick. Stephen, come on. We're going to pray. Three things I want to just encourage you 
in. Number one, instead of focusing on the next election, on politics, on how we're to interpret all that's going on in D.C. and what might happen in the next couple of weeks, even the rest of this year, instead of focusing on that, focus on living out the gospel. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect and honor your husbands as unto the Lord. Parents, raise your children and teach them the scriptures. Lead them to prayer. Make your home a little incubator of disciples. That is, it's always been hugely important, but can we not just agree this morning that the world we're living in, we need our children to be rooted and grounded here. Students, laborers, business owners, employees, do all that you do for the glory of God. It's an act of worship. Live as people of the light. Be salty. Don't be like a lamp that's put under a, a bush. Go live out the gospel. Love, forgive, be generous, kind, compassionate. Long-suffering. And let your joy in Jesus spill over in everything you do. Number two. Instead of shouting your opinions everywhere about what's happening, and I've already seen a lot of it. It's all over social media. Everybody's reacting. Instead of reacting, go tell everybody you can find that will give you five minutes about Jesus. Just... Tell the gospel. Go be little preachers everywhere. Proclaimers. Somebody says to you, can you believe what's happening in Washington? And this might sound cheesy. This might sound preachy. I don't mean it that way. That's not my heart. But when people get all up in arms about what's going on, they, they, you know what the, should be coming out of our mouths? Yeah, but King Jesus. The Lord reigns. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And like Stephen opened the service with Philippians 2, every knee is going to bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's go tell everybody. I have little to no desire to discuss politics right now. I need to be careful. But I just felt this week like, I just want to go tell people about Jesus. And I don't care if they hit me, hate me, hurt me. Jesus is Lord. Number three, I'm done. Instead of trying to sift through all the rhetoric, hear the heart of your elders, what the Lord has put. This is not really about us. This is what the Lord has put in our hearts. Turn down the noise. I'm not saying don't pay attention. I'm just saying turn it down and turn this up. Turn this up. Let's stand. I'm going to give you about 20 seconds to just pray. I want you to just, just begin to open your mouth. We can all pray at the same time. Let's just begin to pray. Pray as the Lord leads you.
Oh Lord, we come to you now. I know that there are churches all across America that are praying this morning. What, what an what a incredible thought to be able to join with the body of Christ all over this nation and to seek your face. Your people are praying. I believe that. I believe, I believe there are your people who have been called by your name are praying this morning. The church is lifting its voice in prayer and saying, Oh, Lord, in the wake of this turmoil, in the wake of this uncertainty, in the wake of this fear, we trust you, we exalt you, we declare that you are Lord above it all, that you are high and lifted up. You are the most high God, and we, your people, ask for boldness. We don't ask that, Lord, you... We, I know, we know, when you return, every tear will be wiped away. Everything that's broken will be made right. Until that day, this is our prayer, make us bold, root us in your word, and make us bold to make much of you. Not on social media, but in our neighborhood, in our home, in our business, in our school, when we're fishing on the lake with friends, when we're we're going on vacations or we're taking a hike in the mountains and we strike up a conversation with someone in Starbucks or some other coffee house. Lord, let us go into the world and make much of you. That's our prayer. Fill us with your spirit. Make us bold. I just pray the prayer in Acts 4. Stretch out your hand and do miracles, signs and wonders and confirm the message that we proclaim. Jesus Christ is Lord that his kingdom has come near. Make it known through us, your church, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.